If you're able, can you stand with me for the reading of the word? The scripture this morning comes from Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The reading of the word of God. Good morning to everyone. TV writers and Olympic gymnasts will tell you it's hard to stick a landing. If you want to know that, you can ask the writers of the hit show Seinfeld. Seinfeld ran in the 90s. Uh, 180 episodes ran for about nine years. It was a smash hit. When Seinfeld ended, it was, I think, as popular as it had ever been. The final episode was watched by 76 million people, and the writers chose to have the final scene of Seinfeld be with Jerry, Elaine, Kramer, and George sitting in prison. That's it. That was it. That was how it ended. They had unknowingly violated a local duty to rescue law, which is referred to as the Good Samaritan law in the episode. Uh, There's a guy getting carjacked at gunpoint, and they, they don't do anything. And the irony that people will point out that look at this is that what they did in that episode was not nearly as bad as so many of the other things they had done in the last nine seasons. And one person even speculated that maybe it was intended to make the audience feel bad for liking these people for so many years, which were in many ways very unlikable. But 25 years after that final episode is aired, it's widely considered to be a disaster. It's hard to stick a landing. And the bigger the plane you got, the harder it is to land. So what I want to end this series on the Psalms with is how do you land the Psalter? How do you land a collection of 150 of Israel's most iconic hymns and prayers that that were composed over a span of centuries? They did it with praise. But not just praise, it is unrestrained praise if you... I think you probably picked it up while Larry was reading it. Praise is everywhere in Psalm 150. It's used, if you go in and count it, it's used 13 times. And you'll see that praise the Lord, and that is a translation of a word you're probably familiar with in Hebrew. It's hallelujah. And what hallelujah is, is it's a smash up of two Hebrew words. You've got hallel, which means to praise, and then you've got yah. Yah is shorthand for Yahweh. So hallel, yah, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And Psalm 150 is really the hallelujah chorus of the whole Psalter, right? You're just moving from one hallelujah to the next. And that's how it ends. So the the Psalter ends in unrestrained praise. But if you remember, it's been a few months. That is not how it began. That's not how this plane took off. A few months ago, we began this series in Psalm 1, and that begins by describing two people on two different paths. There's the way of the righteous, and then there's the way of the wicked. The path of the righteous, it leads to flourishing. It it bears fruit. It's like that person is compared to a tree like by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. 
But the other one, the one who does not live under Torah, under God's instruction, is disaster. The psalmist compares them to chaff. They get blown away. So two very different paths that the Psalter begins with. We would call this didactic. It's trying to teach us something. It's trying to impart a lesson, wisdom. And the psalmist was trying to say, if you live in God's instructions, or if you choose not to, it's going to lead you to two different places. That's how the Psalter begins, but it, it ends on a very different note. For one, if you notice, notice what's not in Psalm 150, the chaff are gone. We, definitely the wicked make appearances throughout the Psalter, but by the time we get to Psalm 150, the chaff is gone. Uh, and it's like the, psal, the, the psalmist is saying, if you take these paths, ultimately, at the end, the wicked are blown away. They're not even there. But I want you to also notice uh, that there's also no teaching, no instruction, no obedience. I was at a, a gathering a couple months ago, and the speaker was talking about various love languages, the five love languages, which many of you are probably familiar with, words of affirmation and quality time and physical uh, touch, acts of service, gifts. And this guy was talking about how when they first got married, it took a while to realize his love language and his wife's love language was very different, which was I think, probably very common for many of us. But one of my favorite lines from the little speech he gave was he said, Jesus' love language was obedience. And I'm like, man, that's, my, that's like you're speaking my language now. I love obedience. Uh, and there's a lot of truth to that. Like if Jesus equated obedience with love, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. The Psalms understand the importance of obedience. But by the time we get to Psalm 150, obedience is gone. It's dropped out. It's unrestrained praise. It's unrestrained adoration. Obedience is important, but obedience is not the end. What's the end? The end is praise. The end is hallelujah. I'm just going to say it uh, here. Psalm 150 sounds more Pentecostal than Mennonite to me. <laughs> just saying. It sounds more like a full-on symphony orchestra on steroids than it does some guy preaching. It looks more like a dance party than it does Sunday school. Obedience in the Psalms gives way to praise, to adoration, to dancing, to hallelujahs. So the Psalter ends in 150 at a very different place than it began in Psalm 1. But think with me for a minute about the journey. We didn't obviously cover every psalm, but we, we've been here, I think, three months. We've covered a lot of psalms. Think about everything we've seen between Psalm 1 and Psalm 150. If it begins didactic, it begins black and white, you do this, this is what happens, you do that, that's what happens, instruction. It ends in unrestrained praise. In between is a whole lot of turbulence is a whole lot of confusion, is a whole lot of not black and white, but gray. What I want you to see is that, yes, the Psalter ends in praise, but this is not a naive praise. This is not a praise that kind of whitewashes over the realities of life. Uh, I hope you have seen, I was actually surprised. Sometimes I'd preach on a psalm and inevitably it would kind of take to a troubling place of despair or anger or something, and I would think, okay, well, the next psalm needs to be more upbeat, and then I'd get to the next psalm, and there would be, but it always had a lot of confusion or pain or fear in it. It just was like, it, you know, a third of the psalms are 
considered lament. And I definitely got that feel. It's moving constantly through brokenness and in pain and injustice. And one of the really helpful things about that is that gives us language because that talks about life. That's the reality of life. You don't see, um, you don't see Christian cliches in the Psalter. Right? You see a lot of pain and grief and confusion, anger and justice. There's no, you know, some of, these, some of these phrases we use, they have some truth to them, but like, kind of like let go and let God. That's not in the Psalms. That's the understanding, hopefully, behind that is that we are to surrender to God. But here's what the Psalter teaches us. Sometimes before we surrender to God, we have to yell at God. How long, God? You going to forget me forever? How long are you going to hide your face from me? That's a nuance that let go and let God doesn't quite capture. What about God helps those who help themselves? Well, actually, we saw a couple weeks ago that actually probably a better one is God helps those who cannot help themselves. God is very concerned with the poor and the powerless. What about God will never give you more than you can handle? Okay. But the psalmist seems to constantly have more than he can handle. He feels, it seems like he's constantly drowning, he's overwhelmed, he's besieged, he's under attack. Life is too much for the psalmist to handle. What we see, though, is God is his refuge when life is too much to handle. You see how the Psalter is just so much more nuanced. We try to take some truths, and I understand that, and kind of put them in a phrase, but that doesn't work because life is more complex than that. There's more nuance than that. So the promise of the Psalter is if you go from 1 to 150, it's not going to be smooth sailing, even on the path of the righteous. At times, you're going to feel like you're headed to a plane wreck, a crash landing. But here's what's so hopeful about it. The end is praise. Eugene Peterson writes this. Psalm 150, the conclusion of the Psalms, is not a word of praise slapped on whatever mess we are in at the moment. The conclusion tells us, rather, that our prayers are going to end in praise. Our prayers are going to arrive at hallelujahs, but it's going to take a while. It may take years. It may take decades. But certain, but the prayers are going to arrive at hallelujahs because prayer finally becomes praise. And Peterson says, if we persist in prayer, laugh and cry and doubt and believe, we will surely end up at Psalm 150 on our feet applauding encore, encore. I really like what Peterson's saying. He's saying, we're going to get there, but it may take a while. Think back on your life. Think about, maybe if you think back on some categories of your prayer life. Think about things you've prayed for a long time. Uh, I would imagine there's a few different categories. I think you'll look back and see a lot of your prayer requests have been answered. A lot of your prayers have been answered in hallelujah. I think sometimes we, we pray a lot of, I know I do this. I pray about a lot of the things, but I don't tend to go back and kind of see which of those prayers were answered. And I think it's a surprising number of prayers, if you look back, where you can say, man, hallelujah, God answered that prayer. There's another type of prayer, though. There's a prayer that we pray to God for something God did not answer as we hoped, and yet we still say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because we look back and we think, thank God, God did not answer my prayers I hoped. Right? I mean, I'm sure we have some of these. I, we, we might have been married to people who might not have worked out too well, our high school sweethearts or, or someone. We might have got in a job that would have taken us on a path 
that would not have been good for us. So we look back at our life and we say, God did not answer my prayer as I hoped. Hallelujah. That prayer ends in hallelujah. And then there's a third category, and this one's, more, this one's harder. But there's prayers that were not answered by God and that don't make sense, right? There's an open wound remained. There's not yet a hallelujah. And this is hard. Uh, yesterday, you know, we had a service for Jack who was 54. He was way too young. And, you know, Jack, we've been praying for Jack for probably years for healing. I'm sure all of us have something like that. We've been praying for something, and it has not arrived at hallelujah. And this is what's so hopeful about Psalm 150. It says, don't give up. It may take years. It may take decades. It may not even happen in this lifetime, but the end is praise. The end is hallelujah. And it's not just kind of any kind of praise. It's a specific type of praise. It's music and it's dancing. Look at, uh, if you've got your Bible, look at verses 3 through 5. I don't think I got a slide on it, but here it is. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. So notice how all these, you musicians will pick this up, all these instruments are now making an appearance at the end of the Psalter, in Psalm 150. We have this full orchestra. It's, it, that's, one commentator said this is probably most of the instruments that people would have known in that world. So it's not trying to get every instrument. What it's trying to say is there's a massive scope of instruments that are entering into this praise. So we've got the trumpet, the shofar. This was made with the ram's horn. And it, was, it, was not, it didn't have a tune. It would just, you would blow that horn and it would announce key moments in Israel. So like a feast, uh, signal a battle cry, or announce a victory or a new king. So the, the, this, this grand symphony at the end, it kicks off with the shofar blasting. And then we have the, hump, the, the harp and the lyre that go in, these stringed instruments. You know, maybe you think about the guitar or the violin today. I was thinking, uh, I kept having the hallelujah chorus in my mind this entire week. And, I, and if you've been to the Handel's Messiah and you don't know much about it, you know the hallelujah chorus, and you're kind of waiting and waiting and waiting, and then the violins come in. And you know right from those first two notes what's coming, and it's a burst of praise. Like, so now we have the stringed instrument. We have the violins coming in. The timbrel, this is a hand drum, a tambourine. This would have been played by women while they danced. This is the instrument uh, after the exodus, Miriam, Moses, and Aaron's sister. She breaks this out, uh, after uh, they've been freed from captivity, the, the Egyptians are in the sea, they've been freed from slavery, and she gets out and she plays this and she dances, and then the women start playing their timbrels and they dance behind Miriam. And then final instrument we have is the cymbals, which are mentioned twice. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. So you can sense that we're kind of getting to the crescendo here, where the, the noise is just building and building. It's getting louder and louder until we just have this, this clash. And it's kind of an, un, you know, some people point out there's a lot of sound and noise going on at this point. You throw in the cymbals. It's almost like things have gotten a little bit out of control. You, know, you think about like a water and a river it, it bursting out of its banks or, or a dam that's broken out. Things are kind of getting chaotic here. And that's, I think, the picture we're supposed to have is that the end is praise, the end is music, but it's kind of this unrestrained praise. There's this Jewish legend that says uh, 
It goes like this. It says that when God created humankind, the highest form of creation, he turned to the angels and asked what they thought of the world he created. And they answered, only one thing is lacking. It is the sound of praise to the creator. And so God created music, the voice of birds, the whispering of wind, the murmuring of ocean, and planted melody in the hearts of men. I like that line, planted melody in the hearts of men. And one guy said, he said, no, we don't, we don't think that God forgot things at creation, but what this story draws our attention to is that the, the crown of the created order is praise. The crown of the Psalter is praise. The end is praise. The end is music. Why, is that, why might that be significant, that the end is music? I think, again, what's not at the end? Well, there's no, there's no really words or thoughts or the mind. I was recently, I can't remember who I was talking to, but we were talking about moments we feel close to God. And I shared, like, when I'm steeped in, like, a more scholarly commentary on the Bible, I just feel really close to God. And I think I was the only one that said that. Uh, I, I realize that's not how all of us connect, but sometimes when I'm in a commentary, I'm just, my heart is just getting so warm. Not everyone's experience. Um, and I think that's good. Like, I'm a preacher. I'm in words all week. I write down words all week. I speak a lot of words on Sunday. Um, I connect with God through the mind. That's how some of us are built. We really often connect with our God in the mind. And, um, you know, Jesus tells us we're to love God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. But the end of the Psalter is not words. It's music. Again, I think that's significant. James Walter points this out. Music offers an experience of God, not an explanation of God. When words run out, music keeps going. Music offers an experience of God, not an explanation of God. I think this is a helpful reminder to us that faith is more than knowing. It is an experience. I, I lived in Illinois next to a very talented artist, visual artist. When I would see his work, I was in awe of his work. It was just so beautiful, and it continues to be. Uh, when I would talk to him about his ideas and art, I had no idea what he was talking about. I could not follow his mind. It was just, I did not understand what he was talking about. But when he put that to art, it was stunning. He could communicate to me, not through words about his art. He had to put it in his art. God chose to reveal God's self to us through word. That's absolutely true. But think about when God wanted to give us the best picture of God's self. He didn't do it with words. He did it with the word, made flesh, Jesus Christ. I think that's significant. God wanted us to experience God through the person of Jesus. Not just to, for we don't get to quite do it. We have the Holy Spirit. But to those people there got to see him, touch him, experience him. I think that's important. Think about this. How do you, if you've never heard music, how do you describe to someone what the sound of air through a flute sounds like? How would you put that into words? How would you describe to someone uh, what a heart being strung sounds like? How would you describe the way a drum being beat feels, the blast of a horn, the clanging of cymbals? Imagine trying to explain to someone in words what that is like to hear, you, they would be completely insufficient. Right? At that point, the person doesn't need to hear about music. They need to hear music. They, they don't need to hear about art. They need to see art. It's, 
I think this is why this is important. It's a good reminder. We can know a lot about God, but not know God. That's kind of a scary prospect. We can know a lot about God, but not know God, to not experience God. Because remember, the end is not, we talked about this last week, the end is not knowledge, it is God. That's where we're moving, the experience of God. The end is not talking about God, it's not words, it's music, it's dancing, it's experience, it's joy, it's praise, and it just keeps building and building and building until it almost feels like it's going to spin out of control. Final verse, who should join in this symphony of praise? Beautiful line. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Right? This, the last instrument to be added to the orchestra is the voice. Every breath, every human breath, every animal breath, everything, all of breath and all of creation is being mobilized to praise God. The full orchestra of redeeming history, the voices of all humanity from every nation, tribe, and people, and language are all being mobilized to sing the new song, the song of the redeemed. Maybe we got on this plane as good Swiss Germans or Norwegians or Polish or whoever, all buttoned up, dutifully reading the safety card in front of us. I bet some of you have done that on planes. You're like the one person that's reading the safety card. You're the one person listening to the safety instructions. I'm kind of a little bit like that person, right? That'd probably be a good Swiss-German thing to do. <laughs> I think we got one back there. All right, that's fine. But when we get off this plane, we should be dancing in the aisles like our brother Abel from West Africa. We should be wearing, do you remember the orange outfit he used to wear? Like, we can't pull that off now. And the new creation, hopefully, we'll be able to pull that off. We should be wearing colorful clothes. We should be beating the drum because the end is praise, because the end is music, because the end is dancing, because the end is hallelujah.